Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Father, thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you for a time to get together with you, to spend time with you and time in your word. Thank you for calling us here today to hear from you. Speak to us, Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you that you're such a gracious God. You're so full of grace and glory. Be gracious to us today, Father. I stand against any and all deception and blinding of the enemy upon our minds. And Father, I ask you to expose that blinding and deception by your light, knowledge, wisdom, revelation, understanding, and discernment. We give you glory and honor in the mighty name of Jesus. Got a question for you. How do you know when you're deceived? Okay. You don't unless God reveals it. Let's say you're on a train, and you board that train. You're intending to go to Denver, and you believe that train is going to Denver. But in reality, you got on the train for Casper. And no matter how hard you believe that train is taking you to Denver, the truth will expose the lie when you step off that train and it says, Welcome to Casper. I'm going to give you three statements of truth today. I'm going to give you two right off the bat. And if you're writing it down, I'll make it personal. First statement of truth is, I am deceived. You can count on it. Second statement of truth, if I ever think I'm not deceived, refer to statement of truth number one. (laughs) Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now, that's right now in this time, For now we see through a glass darkly, or as in a riddle. And that glass that we see through darkly is the glass of deception. It's the glass of blinding. We don't see clearly. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then when the Son of God comes, then face to face. Now I know in part, but then... I shall fully know. When we see the Son of God face to face, all blinding and deception will be removed. But right now, it all has not been removed. The only thing that has been removed is what God has revealed to us. Give us more revelation, God. We ask you for more, Father. The Bible warns us that false prophets and false Christ are going to come to deceive. We know that. Let's take a look at Revelation 12, 9. 
And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world. He was cast out onto the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Once upon a time, and this is not a fairy tale, this is the truth. Once upon a time, after creation, God established Adam as the God of this world, the ruler of this earth. And he gave him dominion, he gave him authority to rule. But Adam turned that over to Satan. And Satan became the God of this world. He became the ruler of the earth. And Satan rules by deception. He rules by the lie. Let's look at Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. And I saw an angel came, come down from heaven, having the keys of the abyss, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and he bound him a thousand years. This will be during the millennial reign of Christ. Satan will be bound. Thank you, Lord. And he cast him into the abyss and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no longer until the thousand years were fulfilled or completed. And after that, he will be loosed for a short time. Okay, so Satan rules by deception. Let's look at John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he uh, did not abide in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a liar. He uses those lies to deceive. And when we believe those lies, Satan gains a measure of control over us. And if we're deceived, we're not even aware that he has some control over us. Look at John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is the thief, and he uses deception and lies to carry out his mission of stealing from us, killing, and destroying. He does it through deception. Not entirely, but deception is a large part. Look at Luke 4, 5, and 6. This is during the temptation when Jesus was out in the wilderness. And the devil took him up on a high mountain and showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world at once. 
And the devil said to him, All of this authority I will give to you and the glory of it. For it was given to me, and I give it to whomever I choose. Now, Jesus didn't come back and say, You're a liar, Satan. You can't give it to people. You can't set people in authority. But because Satan does have that power to set people in authority. Well, you know, when Satan sets people in authority, he doesn't choose the most evil, uh, the most dastardly, the most low-rent people he can find. He sets people in authority that he can control. How does he control them? Well, let's look at 1 Timothy 6.10. The love of money is the root of all evil. Okay, Satan controls the people he sets in authority by money. Money can buy everything that the world has to offer. Money can give you power in the world. Possessions, uh, drugs, sex, anything the world has to offer Money provides it. And Satan uses money, which is the root of all evil, to control the people he sets in authority. And they do his, uh, his will. From the moment we were born on this earth, a process of brainwashing began. When we were born, we were not followers of Jesus. We did not have the Holy Spirit residing in our spirit. Jesus is the only one that did. He was born of the Spirit when he was conceived physically. When we were born, we had nothing to warn us that we're being brainwashed. And the way the brainwashing was is we were taught to think the way Satan wanted us to think. We were taught the ways that Satan wanted us to walk in. And it's only by God's revelation that those things are exposed. Otherwise, we continue to walk in those ways. Look at Daniel 12.4. This speaks of the end times. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even till the end of the age. Then many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Notice it doesn't say truth shall be increased. It says knowledge shall be increased. Knowledge is not necessarily truth. And the two vehicles that have been used primarily to increase the amount of knowledge are cable TV and the Internet. And, of course, we know everything that's on the Internet is true, right? (laughs) Satan uses this greatly to spread lies. 
Look at 1 Timothy 6.20. Timothy, keep that which is committed to your trust. Avoid profane and evil babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. You know, it seems like any time people want to prove a point, they'll say, scientists have studied, or scientists, scientists have proved. What does God say about science? He says, science can be used to be in opposition to the truth. Okay, so just because a scientist has said it's true, the question is, what does God say? Is it true or isn't it? There's a lot of deception in the church. I know that uh, when I joined the military, I was raised in the Southern Baptist Church. So I had all the Southern Baptist doctrine and terminology down. But as we moved from place to place, we asked God, where do you want us to fellowship? And he would guide us to different places. And it wasn't always a Southern Baptist church. And I would hear things that clearly weren't in agreement with the Southern Baptist doctrine. And I found out the best way to find out the truth was to say, God, this group says this, and this group says that, but what do you say? And God, you have been faithful in revealing to me. God has shown me the truth, sometimes not in my timing, but without fail, he always has come through when I've had a question, every time. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. If I were to ask you a question, and you don't need to ask it out loud, you can answer in your mind. How many churches are in the United States? How many churches are in Wyoming? How many churches are in Cheyenne? Well, if I were to ask that question to God, I would say, God, how many churches are in the United States? And he would answer me, how many cities are in the United States? I would say, God, how many, how many churches are in Wyoming? And he would say, how many cities are in Wyoming? And I would say, God, how many churches are there in Cheyenne? And he would say, how many cities are there in Cheyenne? When God looks at the city of Cheyenne, he doesn't see a bunch of little churches. He sees one church, and he calls that, this is my church. This is the church in Cheyenne. But the church in Cheyenne is under deception. You look in the phone directory, you look on the internet, and it says there's 45 churches in Cheyenne. Oh, wait, there's three new ones. It's 48 now, but one closed, so it's 47. God says there's one church. And I look in Cheyenne and I see this group of Christians gathering together and they have no eyes. And I say, why don't you have any eyes? 
And I find out that when God completed the Bible, he stopped creating eyes. There are no more eyes there. I see another group of uh, believers, and there's no, no, no noses in that church. And I say, why don't you have any noses? And I'm told, well, you know, noses are kind of smelly, and we don't like noses in our church. I look at another church, and it has no feet. And I say, why are there no feet here? And they say, well, you know, we kept sticking those feet in our mouth, and we got tired of them, so we got rid of them. And I see another church, and there's no hands. And I say, why are there no hands? And I'm told, well, you know, hands get kind of messy and dirty on occasion. And we don't like messy things and dirty things in our church. So we got rid of all of those. Satan has divided the church at Cheyenne, usually on the basis of doctrine. And a lot of the Christians in Cheyenne feel like they have more in common with some national or regional association, organization, assembly, or convention. That's who they're related to, not the other Christians in Cheyenne. We, the church at Cheyenne, have believed a lie. We have believed that we are separated from the other believers in Cheyenne. That's why some people are feeling separated. It's because the body of Christ is separated. It's divided. And a lot of people long for the power that was displayed in the New Testament. But that power came through God's organization, which was the church in a city. Notice the letters in the New Testament. Notice the letters in Revelation they're to the church at Ephesus, the church at Sardis, not the churches. He does address the churches in Asia, which is a region that contains cities. God, bring back your church, draw it together, tear down the walls of separation that divide us. Father, you are the only one that can do this. It's not something we can do on our own. I call upon you, Father, to send forth your angels as necessary to wage war against the enemy and tear down the walls that has, have been erected. We give you glory for it, Father. We give you honor for restoring your church here in Cheyenne. There's deception in every area of our lives. Let's take a look at society. Take a look at Genesis 15, starting with verse 13. This is when God made his covenant, his blood covenant of grace with Abraham. And what God told Abraham to do was get these animals, cut them in two, 
lay half of them on one side, half on the other side. This is how covenants were made in Old Testament times. They were called a blood covenant. Normally it was a covenant of works, and the two people that made the covenant, they would both walk between these animals that were cut apart, and they were saying, we commit to this covenant the word that we've given, and God, you be the judge. If one of us doesn't uh, follow this, you be the judge upon that person. Well, when God made the covenant of grace with Abraham, Abraham didn't have to walk between the pieces of meat that were laid aside. Only God did. And God gave Abraham a promise. And he said to Abraham, know of a certainty that your offspring will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall be afflicted for 400 years. Well, we know that was Egypt, right? That's where they went. And he said, that nation whom they shall serve, I will judge. And afterwards, they shall come out with great substance. In other words, we know they took all the silver, all the gold, things that they used in building of the uh, tabernacle. Verse 15, and you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, your offspring shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. God is so gracious. He's so long-suffering. If we follow on toward the end of the chapter in verses 19 uh, well, actually, 19 through 21, there's 10 people groups listed. Nine of those had reached the fullness of iniquity. One hadn't. Because one had not reached the fullness of iniquity, God was gracious and long-suffering, giving them time to repent. When they didn't repent, uh, the land spewed them out. Uh, God brought in His judgments and spewed them out. Now God gives his children some instruction in Leviticus 18. In uh, verses 3 through 5, God is warning his people, don't do the things that you saw the people of Egypt do. And don't do the things that you see the people in the land of Canaan doing. He says, I don't want you following their gods. I want you following me. I want you to hear from me and follow my instructions. And then he goes through a list of, uh, we can generally divide it into four areas. Uh, if you look at verses 6 through 20, you could subdivide this into many minor areas, but in general, it refers to heterosexual sin. God is saying, that's an abomination to me. Don't do it. You know, when I was a kid, people did not just move in unmarried and shack up. If they were doing something like that, they hid it. They didn't want it to be known because it was an embarrassment to their families, uh, to their friends. And so if they were doing something like that, they would do it in a sly manner. But in the 60s, 
Everyone has probably heard the love generation came in and it became accepted by society for people to live in a very uh, sexually loose manner. Uh, Men and women living together that weren't married. Next thing God uh, says in verse 21, he says, don't kill your children. Well, we all know what happened in the 70s. Abortion was made legal. Uh, Before this, it was something that was, if it occurred, it was done in secret. But all of a sudden, it became okay with society to kill babies. Another abomination to God. And this is a path that the ten nations that were in the land of Canaan went down. The third thing that happened is in verse 22. Homosexuality. Okay, today, if you say you're for what God's for, then you're a bigot. You're narrow-minded. You're not broad-minded. You're closed-minded. You're not open-minded. You're homophobic. There's all kinds of things that you'll be called. Well, I'm not uh, concerned if I'm called open-minded or closed-minded or broad-minded or narrow-minded. I want to be known as like-minded with the Lord my God. And when he says yay, I want to say yay. When he says nay, I want to say nay. Father, reveal to us. Show us your hidden things. We desire to escape from the blindness, from the deception that Satan is attempting to put upon our minds. The fourth thing that's an abomination to God Verse 23, bestiality. We're still in the area where people are ashamed of that, and it's hidden, but it's, it's being carried out. Verse 24, do not defile yourselves in any of these things, for in all of these areas, all four things, the nation's Uh, were defiled, which I am casting out before you. And the land is defiled. Therefore, I am visiting the iniquity, the fullness of iniquity, upon it, and the land itself will vomit out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes, my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation nor any foreigners that choose to dwell among you. Uh, Verse 28, so that the land does not spew you out also if you defile it as it has spewed out the nations that were before you. Okay, there are four ways that God spews out the people in a nation that have entered into the fullness of iniquity. Look at Ezekiel 14, 21. Ezekiel 
For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send my four uh, severe judgments on Jerusalem. Here are the four things that he uses. He mentions the sword. And what he's saying there is I will set people against you if you do that. Next thing he mentions is famine. I will cause the weather to be in opposition to you. We're talking here about not only famine, but floods, tornadoes, earthquakes, uh, hurricanes. And as a nation follows down this path, we should see an increase in these things. The fourth thing, the evil beast. Okay, we're talking about the entire animal kingdom from viruses, the smallest, all the way up to sharks, bears, things like that. Remember, he used hornets in the land of Israel. And of course, the fourth thing is the pestilence. Some people would call that the plague, but when you look in Scripture, we find out that the pestilence involves angels that come. Remember when David did the census? He selected three days of pestilence, and what happened? An angel went out. Now, I don't know if it was one of the good angels or one of the bad angels. Doesn't matter. That angel created a lot of death and destruction. Let's look at the uh, medical field. Proverbs 26.2 says, The curse causeless shall not come. Sickness is a part of the curse. There's a reason for sickness. Satan has ground to lay sickness upon people. The medical industry is taught in the medical schools to deal with the symptoms, not the cause. And oftentimes when I've gone in to doctors, I will say, doctor, what, what caused that? Well, we're not really sure what caused it, but if you'll take this medicine, it'll go away and you'll feel good. Okay. Well, it's interesting that the medical schools are funded by the pharmaceutical industry. It's interesting that all of the textbooks are put together by the pharmaceutical interest industry. So you would expect the doctors that are trained there to treat symptoms with drugs, which they do. It's like, if I can draw a comparison, you're driving down the highway, and all of a sudden, that little red engine oil warning light comes on. And you take it into the mechanic and say, there's something wrong with my car because this, this little light has come on. And so the mechanic goes, don't worry about it, I'll fix it. He pulls out a hammer and he smashes the light and he said, that light won't bother you anymore. Pain is your friend. Discomfort is your friend. God created our bodies so that when we feel pain and discomfort, we know that something is wrong with our bodies. And we can address 
not the, the symptom, we can address the cause. Why do we get headaches? Well, it might be because we're a little dehydrated. It might be because there was a teenager in the house that was playing the music at 120 decibels. Might be that, uh, uh, who knows, there, there's so many causes for headaches. And the solution is not to necessarily get rid of the pain. The solution is to find out what is causing the pain and correct that problem. That's what pain was designed for. Food. God gave the entire plant kingdom to Adam for food. After the flood, God added the animal kingdom to uh, Noah for food. Satan has distorted, polluted, perverted God's food. Okay, I'll give you an example of how it happened. It used to be uh, that everyone baked their own bread and ate their own bread. Well, as society advanced, declined, we began to have bakeries in every city, and they would bake the bread. And after the bread sat on the shelf for a while, it would start to turn moldy. I remember as a kid, we would keep our bread in the refrigerator, and it still would become moldy. Find any moldy bread in your refrigerator now? Find any moldy bread in the bread that you set out on the counter? I doubt it. Well, what happened? Well, you know, there's wheat germ in bread, and wheat germ spoils rather quickly. So if we take the wheat germ out, which is part of God's food, part of God's nutrition, guess what? Well, that bread will set on the shelf about twice as long before it spoils. And then guess what? You know, if we add some uh, preservatives, some chemicals to the bread, we can let that bread set out as long as it wants, and it's not going to turn bad. Think of all the money we can make. The love of money is the root of all evil. Processed and refined food taste about as good as a piece of cardboard. So what do they do to it? They add a lot of sugar. They add a lot of fructose. They add a lot of artificial sweeteners that is harmful to our body. And we go, my, isn't that cardboard good? It tastes so good I could eat 10 pieces of that cardboard. But God created his food for a purpose, to keep us healthy. I don't know if you've ever heard of Weston Price before, but Weston Price was a dentist, and he lived back in the, well, he lived long, longer than that, but in the 1930s, he and his wife, who was an RN, decided to close up their house in Columbus, Ohio, every summer, and they would take a trip to a remote, isolated people group. And 
He was primarily interested in the dental aspects, but in investigating that, he found a lot more. He found out that those people groups had almost perfect teeth. They had no need of an orthodontist. Their tooth decay rate was so low that they had no need of a dentist. And they were eating the foods of their ancestors. And as they ate those foods, they found out they had no degenerative diseases. They had no cancer. They had no arthritis. They had no heart disease. They had no need of a doctor. And he found out they were just following the diets that had been handed down generation after generation after generation. And he studied those people groups, what happened when missionaries and traders came in. They introduced the white man's diet, as he called it. And that diet was composed of five things in general. White flour, white sugar, white rice. And what's common with all those things? They've been refined. All the good stuff has been taken out. Their food value is essentially nil. The other two items they brought in, they brought in canned food and they brought in vegetable oil to replace the fat. You know, they found out that the Eskimos diet is about 90% fat. They eat a lot of blubber there. You know, if people were walking around here eating 90% animal fat, they would accuse them of being a heart attack waiting to happen. They didn't have heart attacks there. They didn't have degenerative diseases. Uh, and he examined their food and found out their food was very high in nutrient. Okay, so Satan uses his food in place of God's food to gain ground in our life and to give us those great gifts of sicknesses and diseases and things like that. The, another thing that Weston Price found is when they were on a diet like that, their dental arches narrowed. That means that the people then had a need for orthodontist. He also found that it affected their morality as well because he did a survey among his patients and other patients and they had a certain percentage of the population and I can't remember what it was. It was, I don't know, 60, 70% of the people uh, did not have the narrowed arches. Only about a third of them did. Well, he went into mental institutions and jails, prisons. Most of the people in there had the narrowed dental arches. So it affects not only physical health, it affects entire health of the body. Satan knows this, and that's why he's out to use deception to kill, steal, and destroy God's people. Pharmaceutical industry. If you look in the Greek New Testament in the book of Revelation, you will find the words pharmakon and pharmakia which essentially means drug use, but it's translated, at least in the King James, as sorcery. 
And it says there'll be a great increase in sorcery in the last days. Well, there's drugs in some foods and drink. There's drugs in all of the pharmaceutical drugs. There's drugs in the street drugs. And what's happening? Well, there's more and more and more. It's becoming more and more acceptable. How about Washington and our neighbors to the south, Colorado? You can now buy marijuana. So we're going to see a great increase in that. People are going to be dependent upon it. Let me tell you a little bit how the pharmaceutical industry works. There are, you know, God talks about the healing of trees, both now and later. There is a tree in the Amazon rainforest that is called the graviola tree. There's a similar tree in Appalachia that's called the pawpaw tree. And there was a multi-million dollar study uh, at Purdue University on pawpaw. And to make a long story short, they found out that, uh, well, in a normal person, your normal cells have a potential energy of about... 70 to 85 millivolts, whereas a cancer cell has a lower energy. It has an energy of about 50 to 55 millivolts. Well, what pawpaw and graviola do is they lower the energy in every cell of the body. Well, normal cells go down to about 50 to 55 where they can function quite normally and survive. Cancer cells drop down to around 30 or so, and guess what happens when they hit a potential energy of 30 millivolts? They die. They die. Well, you know what the drug companies did? They got really excited when they found uh, graviola, and what they tried to do is, rather than say, Graviola can uh, stop and even cure cancer. You know what they did? They tried to replicate graviola chemically. Now, why would they want to do that? You can't put a patent on the things that God created. You have to create something chemically, put a patent on it, and then you can sell it and make lots of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Well, they were quite excited, but you know, anytime they chemically replicate something of God, God's product doesn't have any side effects. When you try and replicate it chemically, there are always side effects. You know, if... You could watch TV, and I'm sure you've seen these ads, you know, this drug will cure halitosis. No more bad breath. You'll never have bad breath again your entire life. It does have a few side effects, though. So. Might cause stroke, heart attack, maybe even death, maybe cancer. 
but you won't have bad breath anymore. That's what we're up against in the pharmaceutical industry. You know all the money that's donated, for example, for cancer research? You want to know where that money goes? It's awarded to people that are searching for drugs to cure cancer. The pharmaceutical industry does not want cancer to be cured. They would lose all their money if cancer were cured. They want something that will relieve the symptoms but allow the disease to remain. This is the deception we're up against in this world. Father, continue to shine your light of revelation. Show us, Father, that we may walk in truth and not in deception. Do I need to mention the political arena? I won't say every politician, but a large number of politicians will say anything, make any campaign promises to get elected. Once they get elected, yeah, I said that. You can keep your doctor. It's pervasive. Let me give you the third spiritual truth or statement of truth. Only God's revelation exposes deception. Let's take a look at the church at Laodicea. Revelation 3, starting with verse 14. The church at Laodicea, there's seven listed. The seventh church is the last church. What's typical, what's the characteristic of the church at Laodicea? Well, if we look at verse 17, we'll see. Because you say, dot, 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 but you do not know. What is that when you say something and believe it and you don't know it's the lie? It's deception. That's the condition of the church in the end times. I've been in many churches. They will look at this passage on Laodicea and they will say, that is the church at the end times, but it doesn't apply to us. What is the church that thinks that this doesn't apply to them? Does it apply to the church at Cheyenne? Are we in deception? I can tell you we are. This letter applies to every church in the end times. Give us a revelation, Father. Well, thank you, Lord, that you have given us the answer. This is the prescription. And before we go on to the prescription... Let me tell you another story. There's a story of a city, and everybody in that city drove a junker car. You know what a junker car is? It's like a jalopy. And these cars, every one of them had hail damage, rust damage. They died all the time. They wouldn't run. They used a ton of gas. Their gas mileage was terrible. And, you know, everybody was proud of that car. 
their own car. They love their own car. And let's say you lived in that town and you had a car like that. And by the way, every warning light in that car was smashed. Every one of them. And one day you went out for a drive and you kind of got lost and turned around and all of a sudden you looked up and you saw a sign that said God's car dealership. And you looked and these were the nicest cars. You didn't even know a car like this existed. They had no hail damage. They had no rust damage. The paint was not peeling. They were really nice vehicles. And you go, God, I, I didn't know you had a car dealership. And he said, well, you weren't prepared to buy a car from me before. You're now prepared to buy a car from me. And you go, God, these, this car is so nice. I don't know if I have enough money to buy one. And God said, the only way you can buy one of these cars is you have to trade in your old car. You can't keep your old car. You have to trade in your old car. Money's no good here. All you can buy this new car with is a trade-in. Well, back to Revelation, the church at Laodicea. There are five conditions that they have if you look in verse 17. They're wretched, they're miserable, they're poor, they're blind, and they're naked. Five conditions. But you know it only takes three things to cure all five of those. Okay? The first thing is God's ISAV of revelation. God says, uh, I, counsel, uh, I counsel you to anoint your eyes with ISAV that you may see. God's ISAV of revelation. Look at Romans 12, 2. Be, trans be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only way our minds get renewed is by God's revelation. Our minds don't get renewed necessarily by going to seminary. They don't get renewed necessarily just by reading or even memorizing the entire Bible. The only way our minds get renewed is by God's revelation. There is no other way. Okay, Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Our thoughts can never become God's thoughts without God's revelation. Our ways can never become God's ways without God's revelation. So what is the trade-in here? We trade in our thoughts and ways for God's thoughts and ways. That's what God wants us to buy. He wants us to buy His thoughts and ways.
We've got to be willing to give up our thoughts and ways. We've got to be willing to say, God, this is what I believe, but what do you say? I'm willing to believe what you believe. Second thing is God's golden assets that are tried by fire. What are those assets? Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 13. For no other foundation can be laid than that which has been laid, Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Okay? Two different types of works. One is gold, silver, and precious stones. The other is wood, hay, and stubble. Let's look at Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, his product, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has previously prepared that we should walk in them. God has laid a blueprint out for each one of us. And that blueprint is the works that he has ordained that we should do. He has set them in front of us, and we walk in them. What are those works of wood, hay, and stubble? Those are our self-righteous deeds of the flesh. What is the gold, silver, and precious stones? That's the works that God has previously prepared for us. That's what he wants us to walk into. It's not programs set up for us to accomplish works of the flesh like that. It's the thing God speaks to us and says, this is the way, walk in it. This is what I want you to do. Last thing is God's white clothing. God's white clothing in place of nakedness. The question is, what brings about nakedness? And here we're talking about spiritual nakedness. If we go back to the garden with Adam and Eve, before the fall, Adam and Eve were physically naked, but they were spiritually clothed in the glory of God. After the fall they recognized they were no longer clothed in the glory of God. And they were ashamed. And they tried to create their own clothing. But you know what? They were still spiritually naked then. Look at 1 Timothy 2.14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman Eve was deceived and was in the transgression. Notice that 
Adam made the choice consciously to disobey God. That caused him to be naked. Eve was tricked. She was deceived. She didn't know that she was sinning, and yet it still caused her to be naked. Okay, the deception is taken care of when we have God's eye uh, salve of revelation. How do we get the white garments? Look at Revelation 3 5. This is in the letter to Sardis. He that overcomes the same shall be clothed in white raiment. So being clothed in white raiment or God's white garments has to do with overcoming. How do we overcome the enemy? Look at Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's the first thing. What does that mean? That means that we realize that at the cross, the Lord accomplished everything that was needed. We need to rest in that. We don't need to do anything additional. Okay, the second thing. Uh, by the word of their testimony. They came into agreement with who God said they were. Okay, God says I'm this, then I'm that. Do I feel like that? Doesn't matter, God said I'm that. So we come into agreement with God. The third thing, they love not their lives unto the death. The Greek word there for lives is their soul lives. They were willing to lay down their soul. Okay, look at Luke 9, 23. And he said to them all, If any man desires to follow me, let him deny himself, his soul life. Take up his cross daily and follow me. So basically, we're submitting our life to the Lord. Your will, Lord. We learn how to say, yes, Lord. When God speaks to us, we say, yes, Lord. There is no other response that is suitable. Yes, Lord. Okay, the other thing we need to be aware of is Romans 8, 2. You remember Romans 7, in it Paul talks about his struggle. The things I want to do, I can't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Okay? Let me tell you that willpower is not what sets us free. There is one thing that sets us free, and that tells us in Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus 
has set me free from the law of sin and death. There is a law in our flesh that operates, and only the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus can set us free and remove those sins from our life. And it's His work. It's the work of the Spirit. If something happens, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Any unrighteousness, any spots that we pick up on our garment, they're erased when we come into agreement. Yes, Lord, that was wrong. I agree. Thank you for your forgiveness. And last verse today is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And that tells us what's happening to us. But we all, with unveiled faces, behold as in a glass. Notice this one is not a glass darkly. It's a glass that we are seeing. In a glass, the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. God is at work in each one of us, and He's changing us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what is being formed in us as we are yielded, as we allow God to do this work in us. And these are the trades that God wants us to make, trading our thoughts and ways for His thoughts and ways, trading our self-righteous deeds of the flesh for His previously prepared good works, trading our nakedness for God's white clothing. Father, let it be. Bring it about in our midst. Show us the hidden things that we may walk in all your ways. We give you glory, honor, and praise in the mighty name of Jesus. If you have any needs that you want the ministry team to pray for, or you want a word from the prophetic team, come forth. If you want to uh, pray together and make those transactions, God's open for business today. And you can look back and point back to Mother's Day in the year 2014 as that's the day I made those transactions with God. If you're not a child of God, you can't make those transactions. So if you want to be a child of God, come forward and we'll make sure that you're a child of God and you can say Mother's Day 2014. Thank you, Lord. And have a blessed Mother's Day. I won't say every politician, but a large number of politicians will say anything, make any campaign promises to get elected. Once they get elected, yeah, I said that. Does it apply to the church at Cheyenne? Are we in deception? I can tell you we are. This letter applies to every church in the end times. Give us a revelation, Father. Be, trans be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only way our minds get renewed is by God's revelation. Our minds don't get renewed necessarily. And 
Last verse today is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And that tells us what's happening to us. When God speaks to us, we say, yes, Lord. There is no other response that is suitable. Yes, Lord. Okay, the other thing we need to be aware of is Romans 8.2. God, I, I didn't know you had a car dealership. And he said, well, you weren't prepared to buy a car from me before. You're now prepared to buy a car from me. It's golden assets that are tried by fire. What are those assets? Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 13. is the works that he has ordained that we should do. He has set them in front of us and we walk in them. What are those works of wood, hay, and stubble? 